Hello, and thank you for joining us on Giving Voice to Depression. I'm Bridget. And I'm Terry. More than 350 million people worldwide suffer from depression, but you do not have to have it yourself to be affected by it. Its prevalence pretty much guarantees that someone you care about battles its darkness. This podcast tries to shine some light into that darkness. We're not experts and we're not therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and are committed to encouraging healthy, healing conversations about mental illness. Episodes in this season are made possible by a grant from the Charles E. Kubley Foundation, which is dedicated to bettering the lives of those affected by depression. We are solely responsible for podcast content. Hi, Terry. Hello, Bridget. How are you doing? I'm good, and you? I'm glad to be here because we're going to be talking about the fact that human nature wants everything to be simple and kind of tied up with a neat little bow and that life just isn't that way. Okay. And certainly with depression, um, you know, depression just plain out refuses to be easily understood or explained or managed or lived with. It's a complicated thing. It's not as if we detect the very first subtle symptom of our mood disorder and immediately seek and get proper affordable medicine and attention, and then it's kind of all over. It's like everything's happy and balanced. It just doesn't work that way. would be nice. Mm-hmm. But as you always say, uh, recovery is not a straight line. So it should come as no surprise that John's story of his mental health struggles, his suicide attempt and recovery is a little messy, like all of ours is. 54-year-old John lives in Ontario, Canada, and he reached out to us about this podcast on Twitter. We asked, as we often do, if there is a topic or perspective he'd like us to explore, and he wrote back immediately. And almost as quickly, we set up this interview. Let's hear John's story. First of all, thank you for trusting us with your story. Oh, not a problem. Glad to share. Good. So tell me why you reached out and and what specifically it is you want to share. (laughs) Um, There's lots of stories about the need to share. There's lots of stories about recovery. And there's lots of stories about survivor's guilt from the perspective of a surviving spouse who's lost someone. But I don't know of anything that talks about forgiving yourself for a suicide attempt. How do you do that? What does that take? And how does that reflect on those who have forgiven you and yet you can't do it to yourself? And so that is the topic of today's episode, forgiveness and recovery, and how you apparently can have one without the other, as John will explain. How long ago was your attempt? Uh, Just under four years. And in what way does not forgiving yourself uh, affect your life? Well, one of the things that depression gives you is a great deal of self-loathing. It destroys, erodes your self-esteem. It's very difficult to rebuild self-esteem, to rebuild compassion for yourself when you can't forgive yourself. Is there something specific you're not able to forgive yourself for? Uh, Well, when I was in the darkest phases of my depression, I felt guilty about not being a good dad. I felt that my son would be better off without me, that his mom would be able to uh, 
provide more for him than I could. All of those wonderful doubts that people in a depressed state of mind go through. Post-attempt, it was guilt at not allowing my son's love to give me hope. Um, so the, the creature of guilt and shame remained. Simply the focus of it was changed. And what is your son's reaction, Ben? Uh, he forgave me right, right away. And he then reached over, gave me a hug. Instantly. You told him what had happened. He had no knowledge of it prior. You told him and he hugged you? Yes. Wow. Yes. And to have... To have your child hold on to you and forgive you when you are days away from attempting to take your life, um, that was, well, I wish I had the words to be honest, but uh, uh, that was something else. Uh, extremely powerful, yes. So you know what I'm going to ask next. Absolutely, <laughs> but go ahead. Well, why can't you do that to yourself, for yourself? Um, the feeling of unworthiness remains. And, and because I feel unworthy, I cannot forgive. Are you working with a therapist? Yeah, I see a psychiatrist. I do uh, work with, with other people. Um, I do uh, lots of research. There's lots of advocacy I do on mental health. I mean, I, it's not as if I'm not doing things to change that. Because I always think of when someone has gotten to the point where they can share their story publicly and they are turning it outward in an attempt to help and heal other people and give them hope that they are at a pretty uh, healthy place themselves. I would agree with that. I, I'm at a, a fairly healthy place. Suicidal thoughts have, for the most part, stopped. Um they're there from time to time, but there's no planning going on. There's no desire to bring them to fruition. They're, they're there uh, almost like a pesky mosquito that shows up when you don't want it to. Um, but it, it's no more than that type of annoyance. What, if I may ask, and anything I ask that you don't want to answer, just say, I don't want to answer that. Um, mm -hmm. But what what does your psychiatrist or therapist say needs to happen for you to be able to forgive yourself because there's definitely somebody else listening to this who is in the same position. Uh, the answer I get is to work on my self-compassion, uh, which it sounds fabulous, but uh, it, it's a lot harder than it sounds. Um, I, I've, I have books on self-compassion. I have audio books on self-compassion. I have all kinds of meditations to... Uh, help instill compassion, um, and I use all of them. But as I say, for me, it's it's being stubborn. It just doesn't want to uh, to step away, and and that's to some extent that's okay, um, only because it hasn't engendered a spiral. If it was causing me to spiral down again, I, I would really, really, really. Uh, question why I haven't been given a little bit more than work on self-compassion. For, for me, I'm looking for a magic tool 
the tools that I've been given or shown or told to use so far haven't worked. Um, so I'm looking for that little nugget that will, you know, magically, uh, ah, okay, this is what it is. And I wondered and have wondered for some time how many others have not found that little magic tool that allows them to move beyond a suicide attempt. What would that magic thing look like or feel like? Uh, I, I think in myself that it's a meditation that I've yet to find. Um, meditation has been a wonderful uh, companion to my recovery, and it's helped me accomplish a great deal. Um, I just haven't found the right meditation that uh, uh, turns that little switch that, that makes sense to me that, okay, now I can let go. And is it letting go of guilt, shame, something completely different? All of the above. <laughs> um, there's, there's guilt at the act. There's shame at the act. There's self-loathing that, that still lingers. Um, it's not nearly as dire as it once was. I've, I've worked on that issue and whittled away at the edges of it. But yeah, it's, it's all of those things. And what if there isn't a magic something? What if it's not something outside that you have to find, but something inside you have to create? And I don't mean to sound woo-woo or new agey or like I think I'm a therapist. It's just the question that went through my head. Mm-hmm. Um, I still look. It may be, uh, the one thing I've learned about meditations is that there's a, a, a million of them out there, a million plus. If one doesn't work, another might. So it's just a matter of keep looking until that uh, piece of information makes itself known to me. So to other suicide attempt survivors who may hear this, what do you have to say to them? Don't let the guilt and shame of attempting derail your recovery. Use your tools that you're being shown to help work on them. And so long as you keep working on those aspects of, uh, of yourself, uh, you're doing well. You are such a compassionate and loving man. I can tell from the words you choose and the way you express yourself and the fact that you're expressing yourself. And you want to help other people who are in the same position as you. And I, I don't know if it's fascinating or frustrating. It must be so hard for you to not be able to extend that same compassion to yourself. It has been. Um, it's, it's frustrating. There are times when um, I have doubt, and that's to be expected when you can't let go of, of things. Um, but then I look at all what I've accomplished, and I, I've accomplished a, a great deal in trying to better myself, better myself in the sense of healing. I'm still healing. It's, it's an ongoing process. Um, it's one element of the process that is, uh, needs more work on. And that raises the question, if this is a process, maybe certainly for you, the forgiveness, the self-forgiveness just hasn't come yet. And would that allowing lighten it a little bit if you just said, okay, I've done A through R and I'll get to S through Z as I continue to walk this path of recovery? 
In, in some ways, you're correct. Um, as I mentioned, uh, you know, I recognize it may take years for, for that to to be addressed, for, for the self-forgiveness to happen because of the, the years of negative self-talk. Um, it made sense to me just as a rational thinker that, you know, if you've spent 35 years not liking yourself, it's not going to change overnight. It's going to take time to undo all of that damage and create a new sense of self. And I'm okay with that. I'm quite willing to allow the time to happen. So, yeah, it could be that, it, that the time for self-forgiveness is not here yet. Yeah, because it seems to have a totally different energy to say, um, I can't forgive myself versus saying, I've done an awful lot of recovering, but I haven't yet forgiven myself. And, and you're right. Uh, and that may be the, the better way for me to look at it, that it's just not happened yet. Uh, and the key being that word yet. Does it help to think of it that way? Not at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being honest. <laughs> I just shot it out there again. Not a therapist. <laughs> um, I, I'm sure it will. Um, this conversation is certainly helping. Um, one of the things that I find that sharing does for me is it not only allows me to educate um, at times who I'm speaking with, but allows me to educate myself because I, I get to hear two opinions as opposed to just the one. Um, and, and the one that's in my head isn't always the nicest of opinions. So having a conversation with another takes me out of that and places me in, into an area where um, I can learn with some safety. Very well put. And I, I have the same reaction. The only time I t tend to talk about my depression is when I'm interviewing someone about theirs. But I think that it helps to have a vocabulary to explain it and to express it and to almost metabolize it. Absolutely. Yeah, so you're helping me as well, so thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Gosh, it's difficult to be happy when someone's mean to you all the time, and, you know, that's what self-talk is. It's like beating up yourself. <laughs> yeah, when that someone is you, right? It's a little harder oh. to yeah, leave the room oh. and get away from it. But I really appreciate how, in spite of not having forgiven himself, John does really acknowledge and give himself credit for all of the recovery and all of the advancements and all of the growth he has experienced and worked for. And the fact that he acknowledges that it's a process that can take time and he's come a long way, but, you know, he's mm -hmm. not there, but it's better all the time. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's true and it's difficult. It but it's also chemistry, Terry, because brainwaves, like, prove... That when we do positive self-talk, we feel good. It actually releases hormones and endorphins and serotonin that, you know, cascade through our brain and our body, and they make us feel good. And those same neurotransmitters, when they stop flowing, huh. when we use negative words or negative self-talk, make us feel shitty. Yep. To go from self-loathing to self-love may seem, you know, like opposite ends of a continuum, but pick different words, you know, self-care, or maybe we have to start with being as kind to ourselves as we would be a stranger or whatever that next step is for us. Maybe self-acceptance before self-love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Very good point. Yep. So we want to thank John for coming forward with his story. I did ask his permission to speak with one of the psychiatrists or psychologists on our board, and uh, he said, go for it. And I called Dr. Margaret Rutherford, who wrote Five Not-So-Simple Steps Toward Self-Forgiveness. So we will link to that, and I don't know if it'll help John. I don't know if it'll help somebody else. And, of course, the forgiveness could be for anything. It certainly doesn't have to be a suicide attempt. But uh, hopefully her five steps will help somebody questions I think are really empowering too. So, you know, sometimes something can lead to another thought in our head that helps us. Yep. And we also want to mention that since last week, our podcast is now available on Spotify. So I think it's pretty much everywhere you get your podcasts. So we ask that you uh, help us spread the word so that other people can get the information and these messages of hope and that you're not alone and that people do get through and pass things, even if it's not easy or straight or over or over or over yeah. very good point. and like john said even this conversation helped him you know mm-hmm. it's like it just having it helps mm-hmm. really does good so check us out on facebook too you're welcome to join it's a really nice community and we uh, welcome you there and if there's any topics you're interested in hearing about please let us know that as well wonderful thank you bridgie appreciate it love you bye terry We hope that these shared stories bring out a little more understanding or help people articulate their experiences of depression a little more clearly or more freely. Thanks to all, everyone who's digging deep and finding the words and finding the courage to give voice to depression. You can find all the other episodes, some resources, and a blog on our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. And you can find the podcast most of the other places that you find podcasts. Just Google it, as our mom says. And please remember, if you're hurting, speak up. If someone else is hurting, listen up.